This is Behind the Blade Podcast, Episode 9. This week in Knife News, brought to you by Knife News, we cover the crouching bracelet hidden blade. We also jump into Jaraz's Woodsman Survival Knife, very hot design. Find out the alias that George Washington Sears went by and points to ponder when soldering guards in our tech tips, all followed by our favorite segment, the Q&As. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to episode nine of Behind the Blade podcast. Let's get this started. How are you doing, Jim? I am doing excellent, sir. We're both here today. Good. We're both here today to bring everybody some awesome stuff about knives, because we love knives and we love talking about knives, so this is like a natural leap, again, but everybody already knew that, because we said that in episode one, which you already (laughs) knew, because you listened to it, right? (laughs) Long-time fans, been with us for literally nine weeks. Speaking of nine weeks, uh, by my math, I'm seeing two weeks from today is when everyone's going to be showing up in Atlanta at the Cobb Galleria setting up for Blade. Ooh. Two weeks from today. Man, that's a, that's a big... That's, that's a big show. I mean, I'm a little nervous about it, too. That's You don't even have to make stuff for the table. I know. Yeah, but I it's know. exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting to go. It's exciting to meet a bunch of people. I know that I've already got at least one appointment. Oh, good. With, with somebody um, already there. And then I'm, I'm of course, going to go around to the different vendors and see if I can open up some new accounts and some new material and stuff. Uh, yeah, last year at Blade, I ended up getting, like, this really cool, like, resin aluminum mesh kind of material. For what? It was... It was um, for knife handles. Oh, okay. Gotcha, and, gotcha. So you're familiar with the C-Tech? And, yes. And, the, and, and what we call lizard skin, which is basically just crushed C-Tech with really cool resin. Right. <laughs> running through it. Um, uh, it's basically stuff like that, but instead of octagons, it's squares. Oh, cool. So, and then what they did is they just like wove it like in a 3D way through the block. Looks like an 80s music video. You expect yeah, like yes. a Lamborghini Countach <laughs> to come over it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like. It's, it's totally cool. But, uh, but I have a very important question for you, Matt. Go ahead. What are you carrying today? I am glad you asked. Today, living dangerously, and maybe outside of the Michigan law, you hear that? That is my Microtech Executive Scarab. It's a single edge and stone wash with LMAX steel, which uh, I know we were talking about LMAX not being the best maybe for choppers, but as an EDC, I mean, this thing just rocks. Uh, it, make, it makes perfect sense on a small EDC folder or fixed blade. It yes. makes perfect sense for that. And uh, this one in particular, I mean, there's there's been some flack with Microtech because they can be a little bit of a sensitive mechanism. And when I first got it, it really didn't fire reliably uh, by my standards. And I sent it back to Microtech and they tuned it up. And the guys down there, when I called them on the phone or sent them an email or whatever it was a year or two ago, um, they said, we know exactly what the problem is. I mailed them the knife. They tuned it up. They sent it back to me. This thing has fired so reliably that it is absolutely a part of my EDC rotation. Excellent. And I That's have cool. absolute faith in it. So I love that. And I am carrying, I, I skipped the fixed blade today, which is rare for me. I almost mm. always carry them. Oh, uh, but instead of my Camilla's demo knife today, I am rocking the Leatherman Charge Titanium. Man, I have not seen that. Oh, really? Leatherman Charge in, in tie? I have not seen that. S30V blade on there, which really? I thought was really awesome. And you can access it from the outside. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a thumb There's a thumb hole. Yes. There's a thumb hole right in the blade. Yep. And it, it's got a saw. It's got a full serrated blade with like, it could be a gut hook or a package opener or something like that. Uh, it's got a diamond file and then a conventional tooth file. Uh, and those huh. are all accessible from the exterior in the folded position. <laughs> I can tell by all the metal dust yeah, on this yeah, thing that yeah. you've actually used it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I use it a lot. It, that awesome. thing is, it really is a toolbox. If uh, uh, I'm trying to think, if if there was anything that I could gripe about on that, because I do love it as a tool. The scissors are great. The screwdrivers are great. It does not have a small punch or a small screwdriver like my uh, demo knife does. And right. I use that a lot. And the other thing is I, I paid the extra money for the leather sheath that it, the belt sheet that it goes in. Right, and right. it has this, which I think is the coolest thing ever. Uh, it's got a bit extender that slides into the bit holder and it huh. allows it to act like a screwdriver. Let me see. I think it's oh, in that's, my pocket. That's awesome. But the, yeah. So oh, there it is. Yeah. There so it is. that's yeah. the screwdriver. And then this slides in and converts it into like a full length screwdriver. And if it's any quarter inch bit, well, I got. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's isn't cool. that sweet? That's yeah. That's pretty cool. I got huh. the bit kit off Amazon and I got the leather sheath off Amazon. 
the only thing is, is that the sheath has uh, accommodations or provisions or whatever you want to call it for the bit extender mm-hmm. to sit in there. But when you wear it around, it falls out the bottom. And so I <laughs> wish they would redesign that. I think I'm going to have Jenna make me a new sheath for it. But I, as far as as a tool goes, the carrying system, I'm not very pleased with. But as a tool, the thing's bomber. I, nice. just, I absolutely love it. And it's titanium, which I don't think it's a big weight reduction thing. I think it's a wow factor thing more than yeah. more than anything else. But It's, it's uh, more like, look, look at what we can engineer and the kind of a cool factor. I mean, there's even a little bit of like knurling and, uh, and, and punch work and it's, it looks a little rough or brute to forge. Yeah. Brute it's to it's got like high, a yeah. brute to forge texture to yeah. it. I, I just think it's the, the felines hindquarters, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Well, we're, we're still working on that. Not swearing. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you no, got, Jim? What are you carrying man, today? Man, I'm carrying uh, my classic mainstay. So, so I do work, I do work for Barker River, but I am carrying Probably one, probably my favorite knife in the whole line is the Ultralight Bushcrafter. This is this thing is uh, made out of uh, CPM 3V. It's like got like a three and a quarter inch blade, and it measures 0.93 on the spine. Just a wisp. And it's just like this little wisp of a knife. And then underneath underneath the micarta scales, because I have green canvas micarta, it's well aged too. I mean, it's got skeletonizing underneath. It's a super light knife. Let me see that. And and it's oh, yeah. it's super handy. It's super sharp. Holds its edge forever because it's 3V. And, uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't, like, choose this knife to go out in the woods and survive. But, oh, I think you could. But, but, but if I were in that situation, I could survive with this without a problem. No problems at all. Um, I think, I, you know what I mean? Uh, not, not to plug the home team or anything, but yep. I think this would be a... I would get a couple of these. I'd keep yeah. I'd keep one in the Jeep, one in the car, and then one fancy <laughs> one in my EDC rotation. Just because it's such a negligible weight and size but with that 3v steel you know it's going to be tough mm-hmm. i mean obviously it's razor keen it's super sharp oh yeah and uh it fits the hand really comfortably my hand anyways oh if it, if it's even large hands yeah i mean even large hands because there's no there's no points or or protrusions or anything that would that would like limit the length of hand that could go on that knife it's one of the reasons why i love it it's a good day pack knife yeah you know totally. what i mean yeah Absolutely. you're I mean, like man I, I i have it on my hip all day when i'm at work every day because this is my general work knife and you don't feel it right because it weighs Nothing. Nothing. It yeah. weighs nothing. I mean, it, I think I think my notebook weighs more. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, that notepad you keep. You, you guys don't know this about Jim unless you know him and you've told him something that he doesn't want to forget. He carries around. You know, we've all carried like the little notepads that uh, you would see like a waitress use maybe at a restaurant <laughs> or something like that. No, Jim carries like a full steno notepad in his back pocket. <laughs> and when he pulls it out, it makes me laugh hysterically every time. I mean, the thing's got to be what, three by eight or four by eight oh, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's huge. No, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, a reporter pad. It's is a what reporter's it's notebook. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, in, or uh, sometimes it's called an investigation notebook. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be super cool. He's moonlighting as a detective, folks. Yep. In my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? All right, man. I am carrying a Sprint Run Spider Co. Paramilitary Two, and uh, we, we covered this before when you were carrying your PM Two. Perfect before. knife. It's it is it really is the perfect knife. I mean, it slams open, the blade flies out when you need it. It's razor sharp, and uh, and mine is made an M three ninety. Oh, nice. What and, do you think of that uh, M three ninety? It's awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Properly heat treated, and Spider Co.'s heat treats always on par. Yep. I, I don't think I've ever seen a knife from them that wasn't heat treated properly to the to the maximum amount of the steel. Agreed. The, the steel's potential. Um, and mine's fully convexed. And this one I did a really good job on because I lost no blade when I convexed. Yeah, it. you did a good I, job on I that. I used yeah. well. See, uh, when, whenever we convex blades in the shop, we actually um, center our edge first with a bevel. You know, just like anybody else would would bevel it, but but uh, our stock's a lot thicker, so we end up with a very with a with a little bit of a wider bevel, and then we convex through that to the edge that already exists. Gotcha. So I lost no blade at all. I mean, it's totally straight. It's 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 well ground. There are no scratches from grinding in it. it I did a pretty good job. Yeah, you did. It's really clean Thanks. looking. Yeah. Thanks. And it flies open. So. Yeah. I, I wish I could make it fly open, but I was messing around with my KME sharpener and <laughs> I was probably tired and I wasn't thinking clearly and I split my right thumb yep. wide open. And so it's a little <laughs> sensitive and I've been grinding for the last couple of days preparing for blade. Oh, so it's been pressure and being worked and, on and hot. Time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then dunking into the water. So yeah, my, my thumb is necrotizing right before my very eyes. <laughs> right. Um, it is the scales are blue textured G10 um, right over the compression lock on this guy, and uh, actually there's a little bit of customization in the action too. The uh, um, the, the the bronze bushings are actually mirror polished. Awesome on this one. So so it. Yeah, I mean that it, thing is fast. Yeah, it, it just comes right out. None of my knives are that fast. They're all sludgy. Every, every knife I own is is just like. 
cranking it open. You know what I mean? That's, right. But, uh, yeah, except for my Microtech. Right, which is designed to be fast. All right, Jim, what kind of hot headlines have our friends over at KnifeNews.com hooked us up with today, sir? KnifeNews.com? You mean www.knifenews.com? Today's news for knife people? That's exactly who I mean. (laughs) As you guys know, this is our number one spot, and it should be your number one spot for finding the best news in the knife industry. Truth. Absolute truth. And uh, we've said it before. We say it again. We're huge supporters of them because of what they bring to the community. And they have turned about and become supporters of your favorite knife-related podcast, Behind the Blade. So, what do we got? What do we got? We got Outdoor Edge showing off a little bit of um, an innovative self-defense, not quite your first line of defense kind of a tool, but more like toward the end of their last line of defense kind of a tool. <laughs> I like but, Outdoor Edge. You're Colorado company. Colorado-based. Oh, right, 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 right. You were Colorado-based. That's I right. was. That's right. That's right. Still in your heart, I'm sure. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, it's a tactical knife called the Paraclaw. Now, it's mostly just a paracord bracelet. Now, you guys have seen the, the, the Jacob's Ladder woven paracord bracelets in multiple colors, and it could be several different thicknesses depending on how many strands. You're wearing one right now. I'm wearing one right yeah. now, yeah. Actually, I made this one. Nice. Yeah, so um, this is a thicker one, but the clasp itself is a tiny karambit. I saw it. I think it's cool. I don't know that that would be my go-to defensive blade, but I can tell you this. Like, what a handy thing to have so close at hand. I mean, rapid deployment, you pinch the clip. The the bracelet becomes semi-rigid to act as a handle, correct? Correct. And then you have this little hawkbill blade, which in the last ditch effort, or if it were like uh, uh, counter abduction or something sure, like yeah, that, yeah. that, I could see that being super useful. But to be honest, for the rest of us sinners just walking around town and you're like, oh, crap, I need a knife. You're like, bam, got one on hand. <laughs> and it's not intimidating or you know crazy large or no, anything it's like a normal, that? No, it's a normal paracord bracelet until you pull the blade out. The blade has to be like about an inch long, but it's totally like a... They, they actually they obviously put some thought into this. The blade itself, it looks like it's stone, it's acid stone washed, and uh, and it's it's totally like a little karambit blade. Is this up on KnifeNews.com right now? It is up on Outdoor Knife News. Well, it is up on KnifeNews.com right now. Yes. By Outdoor Edge. By Outdoor Edge, <laughs> correct. <gotcha>. Okay. <laughs> and, it, and it's pretty cool. Okay, inch and a half. Inch and a half karambit blade. Um, a quote from Outdoor Edge is, I focus to refine the blade design for compactness and to maximize grip, ergonomics, and cutting effectiveness. You know, for as much as you can out of an inch and a half blade, that's mostly a bracelet. I might pick one of these up at Blade. Maybe a couple. Depending on the price point on these, I think these would make great gifts. I mean, if you guys are knife nuts and you have friends that are knife mm-hmm. nuts, it little stuff like this is great to have on hand because you oh, get to give them to yeah. your buddies, you know. And oh, yeah. Just like we were talking about, Reed, over at uh, North Star Trading Post is uh, part of the whole dynamic of knife culture is this kind of gift giving and memory making, right? Oh, totally, And yeah. so this is a... Perfect. I mean, oh, oh Christmas comes around and you have a buddy coming up or, uh, you know, somebody comes to visit at Grindin mm-hmm. and you're like, hey, I got you something, man, you know? Oh, and now that I read on then, it gets even better because you can buy just the buckle without the bracelet yes. for 20 bucks. Oh, no kidding. Nineteen ninety five for that thing. So, and then, and then with the full bracelet, it's 30 bucks. No, sweet. And so, so, I mean, you can buy, you can even buy the fully featured bracelet for it. You're not breaking the Which bag, I think is right worth away. it unless you want to custom size it or custom color it because I don't know, uh, I know that it takes me more than $10 worth of time to tie one of those bracelets. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so, yeah, about right. Yeah. About, about 20, 30 minutes. Good radio. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, that works out. That's just to let you guys know that we're human. Yeah, we, what, what else you guys? <laughs> Belchie <with>, Belcherton. <laughs> so, also on Knife News, because um, we peruse this, and there was this cool-looking knife, and I showed it to Matt earlier, and he thinks it's pretty cool, too. Jesse Jarraz reveals next generation woodsman now it, it doesn't say anywhere in this article but the blade profile is basically a horace kephart kephart knife i think heavily influenced at the oh, very yeah. least yeah totally and yep. well, well the thing is the thing is we agree with horace kephart and we both love the blade profile it's super extremely utilitarian the, i think it's a home profile. run you know yeah. it, you'll hear me use the term perfect knife and that doesn't mean it's superior to every knife out there it just means that it is it's a paragon it is the right thing for the right task yeah. you know it's the perfect thing in the perfect place at the perfect time and i think jesse's new knife that he's launching right now yes I, I think it's a perfect knife i think anybody could carry that as their primary bushcraft survival camping whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it they could carry that knife and be completely satisfied now i haven't had one in hand but right. judging by the pictures and jesse's got a great reputation mm-hmm. behind him so you know what i mean i would assume yes. that it's well executed in uh, person also it, it looks like it's well executed too i mean like and and that's that's hard for a lot of people to truly 
grasp that that we have a little bit of credit to our names when we say that we can look at a picture and see if a knife is useful or not. Right. You know, uh, because because we do make knives for a living. And I can tell you that this guy knocked it out of the park with the ergonomics on the handle, the the exposed lanyard tube, um, the strength of the knife, the steel that he chose. It's the the guy really solid. the guy really made a solid knife. Um, they're entirely CNC machined, drove the price down. Great. So so it's affordable to a wider audience. And uh, and I can tell you that this is going to be very comfortable. It's a cool knife. It, it really is. It is. And Jim raised an interesting point, too. Make no mistake, we are not experts, but we are enthusiasts. Yeah. And so whenever we see stuff, because we geek out on it so much, uh, there are certain cues that we've picked up over the years to be able to tell if something is a winner or it needs a little bit of improvement. And, uh, yeah, n- definitely not experts, just enthusiasts. We really spend a lot of time looking at different knives and, and enjoying the hell out of them. So... Uh, just to clear the air as far as that goes, we don't take ourselves that seriously. <laughs> no, no, but I, yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make the point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but base price on this guy is one hundred and seventy nine dollars, and it comes with a USA made leather sheath. Oh, that's nice. Oh yeah, oh, that's it's pretty great. cool. It really completes it's, the ensemble. It's really cool. If you guys want to check out Jason uh, Jesse Jaraz's um, website, it is jarazknives.com j-a-r-o-s-z knives.com and he's got some awesome stuff on there and a well-made website too oh yeah he's made a name for himself in the industry for sure for sure yeah definitely check that out so um i think that uh that brings us that brings us to the end of the segment all right all right see you guys in a bit As you guys know, Blade Show 2017 is right around the corner. I know all my buddies in the trenches right now preparing for their tables and booze are burning the midnight oil. We want to see what you guys are working on. So we're going to throw up a post on our Instagram and Facebook pages for Behind the Blade Podcast. And we would love to see what you guys are working on in preparation for the upcoming show in Atlanta. So please... Post a picture, just one, don't blow it up. Just throw one picture of what you want to show off and put down what table and what booth you guys are going to be at. It's a great way for us to help promote you guys who are listening to us while you're burning your thumbs off making them sweet knives for the show. So post those pictures on Facebook and show us what you're working on. Cannot wait to see them. And we're back. Welcome to the history segment of the podcast. Uh, this is going to be the old switcheroo. Jim's going to be learning <laughs> us with some book knowledge. So uh, this go around. What do you got, Jim? All right, man. So we're covering somebody that was actually extremely influential in outdoors, um, particularly canoeing and camping and ultralight camping. His name was George Washington Sears. And the, the particular thing that he was really known for was a knife that had the same name as his authored pen name, which is the Nesmuk. There you go. Now, the Nesmuk, the Nesmuk is an extremely utilitarian knife. knife. We were talking about J- Jesse, Jesse Draza's, you know, Kephart-looking, you know, right. survive, you know survival, survival knife. Um, but the other style that is also extremely utilitarian, it takes its cues from from uh, or, or other people have taken their cues from him for another for another uh, for another reason has been uh, there's there's a little bit of influence in like the marbles woodcraft and uh, and uh, and it, Horace Kephart I think came after George Washington that's series. right yeah Nest so, was first and then yeah. Kephart but this is the original this is like the original outdoors knife and I think it was made as like an accident by the guy too because there's no like history on exactly where it came from it was like a um, it was just originated in the Americas, the Nesbuck knife, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, George Washington Sears was born December 2nd, 1821, and he died May 1st, 1890, lived and died his whole life in that entire era, which I'm a little jealous for because that was a pretty cool era for oh, human right. history. So yeah. many things happened. Not for personal hygiene, but for everything else. Yeah, <laughs> Showering really. every day, not so much, but cool knife stuff, yeah. <laughs> But um, he was he was an author and he was a sports writer for Forest and Stream magazine in the 1880s. So towards the end of his life, he wrote a number of articles about about his experiences in the in the wilderness. So wh- here's the notable thing that he did though that was that was beyond writing his book, which was uh, which was. Uh, you know what? For all the research that I did, I didn't write down the name of the book that he did. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I love it. But um, um, I will post actually. Um, if, you know, and I'll remember this later. I'll post a a link to his ebook, to yeah, his ebook, an ebook of uh, which is a copy of his book, um, which is actually in public domain and it's free right oh, now. Oh, cool! So, so you guys should absolutely download that, read that on your Kindle or your Kindle app or however you however you read ebooks, because it is genuinely a good read. 
So he's a he was a small dude. Did you know that? George, yeah. George Washington Sears? Yeah, he's a little wiry he, cat. He's a yeah. small little wiry guy. He weighed 103 pounds. That's, I mean, I'm not a big uh, behemoth of a man, and I've got him by a solid 30, 40 pounds. You're, you're like another belt <laughs> class above him. Right. You know? <laughs> Bantam weight. <laughs> right. right? He's, he was five foot three, but he had a solo canoe built by, uh, built, by, built by a gentleman out of Canton, New York, named the Sari Gamp. Why is that important? Because... George Washington Sears happened to popularize solo canoe trips, which at the time were not solely done. Oh, right, because of the risk of death. Right, right. <laughs> it, was, it was it was guided trips, so it's it's like you had to pay the money for the guide, then you had to pay the money for the huge heavy canoe and everything. But uh, but uh, Mr. Sears actually had a custom canoe built for him, and uh, and in his books and in his writings and in his experiences, he popularized solo canoeing through the Adirondacks. That's pretty sweet. I believe that he made the entire trip which is a 266-mile journey through the central Adirondacks at 62 years old. Wow. And that means I'm sure he was portaging at some point. You know sure. what I mean? So he's carrying that canoe. No wonder he liked ultralight gear. The guy weighed oh. 103 pounds. He didn't <laughs> want to be carrying 80 pounds worth of gear. Yeah. Right. right. It skews your perspective some, but it, but even if you're like a normal a normal sized dude, that still plays a lot. Um, at, at the same time, at the same time, he's 103 pounds, he's 62 years old, he's five foot three. he's into ultralight camping, his canoe weighed 10 pounds, 10 and a half pounds. Wow. He was also suffering from tuberculosis and asthma. He was when a he made the trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, the so, consumption got him. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, and it was it was said at the time in the medical industry that if you uh, were to visit the Adirondacks, it would be good for your health if you were. Isn't it pretty humid out. out there? Yeah, it's, it's very humid out so there. So was that good for tuberculosis? Um, I think medical history has changed since then. I would recant that <laughs> statement about what a time to be alive. <laughs> no, it was a great time to be alive. Yeah. Great nice shit. Yeah. Um, it sucked if you did, if you sucked if you had tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely put a damper on it. <laughs> um, he grew up as the eldest of ten children in South Oxford, Massachusetts. South Oxford was renamed later to Webster, Massachusetts. Took his pen name from a Native American who had befriended him early in childhood, and he was always fascinated by the culture, and his family had a number of books um, about Native American culture. Oh, so, okay. So it was a little bit of an amateur anthropologist, if yeah, you will, awesome. you know, about the whole thing. Um, and uh, he also he also loved Charles Dickens. And, well, who uh, doesn't, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, right. It's classic, right? So he named his canoe the Sari Gamp, which is the name of a Charles Dickens character in one of his books. Oh, there you go. I'll leave it to you guys to figure out which one. Yeah, that's because I don't know, and I actually know a little <laughs> bit of Dickens, and I have no idea on that one. So, <laughs> Right, but um, he was a very interesting character, but in but um, in in his book that he wrote, um, he highlighted the Nesmuk knife, which was which was part of his main trio. So his main trio for, for ultralight camping was um, a small double bit axe. It was his bladed trio. His, yeah. bl- his gotcha. bladed trio okay. for, for, for ultralight camping. A moose pattern slip joint with a clip point and a spear. Oh, God. Be still my beating heart. I, I am so... Great Eastern Cutlery does one of these. And yeah. I, Reed has one. And I am... Oh, my God. Did I fall in love? When he pulled it out of the little... <laughs> uh, Reed makes these cool little leather... Uh, slip joint pouches right. with a magnet that holds it to your pocket. It's pretty sharp design. Oh, you know actually. what I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty slick. They're yeah. pretty cool. And mm-hmm. he pulls this thing out of there and I was like, I, now I'm not a slip joint guy, but that thing just knocked me on my socks. Uh, it knocked me out of my socks. And it, uh, it, he said that it was a Nesmuk pattern. And then when Jim was doing the history lesson on this, I was like, no kidding. As we were going through the notes, he, he was telling the truth. And that is such a sweet knife. So it's got a... Uh, it's a clip point on one mm-hmm. side and a spear on the other, right? Yeah, and equal and equal ended bolstered oh, as well. I God, mean, I, I according love that according knife. to the picture from this, but yeah, small a small camping double bit axe and the classic Nesmuk knife. So the Nesmuk knife, of course, is uh, there's no guard. It's got a, it's got a swooping it's got a swooping almost S shape to it, but the blade curves up like a like a like a trailing point does. But then it immediately drops like a bull nose Skinner right to the center of the line of the knife Massive with belly. a huge roach belly yep. of, uh, of of a blade. And it's extremely utilitarian, very strong. You can use it as a draw knife. You can use it as a push knife. You can use it as a as a leather cutting knife. You know, to, to sail around the table. You know, uh, make, making 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 int- intricate cuts. But but it was very popularized. Um, and a number of makers have made their versions of the the classic Nesmuk knife. Yes, I think it's very popular. Uh, I mean, the Nesmuk pattern, and people will call it that. I, I think LT Wright does one. Do you guys do one? Yeah, we did. We actually did two of them. You guys do? I, nice. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was. I don't know if that was very commonly known, but we did two of them. We did a full tang version, and we did a hidden tang version. And I like the hidden tang version better yeah. because we actually had a huge brass bolster on the thing with 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 machined uh, with with a machine handle 
and uh, and Corby's that screwed to the oh, thing okay. through it. So right. it was like all kind of like integral into one piece. But um, definitely the best version of it by far and probably the, the easiest to find version would probably be our full tank version. I gotcha. So, so also Daniel Custer, C- Custer, Daniel Custer, Custer uh, another great guy, also made his. His looks really, really good. Which one is his? Um, his, his is this one in Desert Ironwood right here. It's got the, it's got oh, the single, yeah, that's single hot. in the front. That definitely has that old butcher knife, which was uh, pretty common back in the trade era. Oh, yeah, it's where they what, made, what they made all their knives out of. Yeah, you know? exactly, but it has that butcher's knife influence. I think that's great. Yeah, I, I do, too. I do, too. Um, yeah, Daniel Custer's works great, by the way, if you haven't had a chance to check out his stuff. Um, and also, Smith & Sons made, made their version of it. They made a little bit more of an ergonomic... Almost like a tactical first finger groove handle. You know, I think that's cool. I think it's got that neoclassical thing. You yeah. know, I'm real big into that. It's got some pretty sweet lines to it. It's got a black wash, you know, and tumbled blade. I think that's sharp. I think that's a good modern take on it for sure. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. Actually, um, last year at Blade, I actually got to meet the Smith & Sons family. Oh, nice. Yeah, they do all of their stuff by hand, and they're they're great people. We, we, we talked for like a couple of hours about uh, but we, we, you know, talk shop right, right. the whole time. And, and it was it was a good time. Uh, again, great people. I mean, they're they're huge fans of D2, but they pull it off. I mean, this blade is gorgeous. It's acid stone washed. I mean, it's it's very ergonomic. They do. They do a fantastic job. Looks hot. And um, I believe the one other company that made them was Blind Horse Knives. Oh, OK. Um, oh, and Condor. Condor made made a version of it, too. So, um, and that's just really the tip of the iceberg, guys. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of people, custom makers and such, that have attacked this design also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, they look nice. They look nice. Um, um, but because it's so popularized, it's not just like, well, Nesmuk was a dude and we should make his knife. No, it's because the knife design works really, really well. I mean, if you've ever had a chance to just use a Nesmuk knife or, or just try to try to make one yourself. Yeah. You know, give it a I shot. mean, give it a shot. I mean, I mean, the, the way they did it back then, it was it was a, it was a stick tang melted into a piece of deer antler. I mean, so, right. So make it. I mean, and you guys will fall in love with it kind of like we did. And um, I would say that that would um, wrap this up. There you go. That and there's your up. history segment, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. That was thank you very much, Jim. That I think that was great. And I, Ness oh, was fun. really, I mean, he's a pioneer. You know what I mean? He so it re- really was. And he set the stage much the way Webster Marble did. He set the stage for modern bushcraft as we know it, especially in the United States, uh, because he was the influence on Kephart. And Kephart mm-hmm. was then the influence on everybody else. Right. right? right. And so right. It, it's always a climbing ladder that we seem to be descending. Yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly. of, of history. And uh, you can you can easily draw the lines that are that are historically accurate and easily seen and in, in influence between between all the other makers. Yeah, it's in writing. And, you know what I mean? Oh, There's absolutely. nothing left to secret or, you know, uh, lost in history. I mean, some details are for sure, but the lineage is all chiseled in stone. It's in writing. And here it is, the the father of America. American bushcraft, uh, George Washington Sears. Did I get that right? Correct, sir. All right, one time in a row. (laughs) First try. The following segment of Behind the Blade podcast is brought to you by our friends over at KME Sharpeners. Um, I I gotta say, I, I picked up one of their systems, I used it. And then I used it successfully. <laughs> yeah. There's always a learning curve. Yeah, it was a little bit of a learning curve to it. With everything that you do. I tell you what, I got my Sabenza razor keen. And I mean, this is no joke. It, it's actually what bit me when I was goofing around. And uh, the system just flat out works. But what blows me away the most is, yes, this is a mom pop outfit. They've been in business, I want to say, about 14 years now. They started off doing uh, arrowhead sharpeners. Right. That was their original stock and trade, and then they moved into the knife sharpening community. Um, They've got a number of employees over there. They've been doing this for a while, but the customer service is as sharp as your knives are coming off of the system. I tell you what, we posted up a picture on our Facebook page of me using the sharpener. Boom. Next day, I get a call from Ron, the owner. He calls me up, gives me some pro tips, helps me tune up my technique just from what he was able to extrapolate from that photograph. And I was like, now there's a guy who cares about how his product works mm-hmm. and he's it, and he cares about his customer base. Oh, totally. And to me, yeah. that was paramount because there are a lot of sharpening systems out there and the end result is you're going to have a sharp knife. But this thing, the fit and finish, the American made components and underscore, underscore, underscore customer service. You cannot pay enough for that. So we highly recommend KME Sharpeners. Go check them out at www.kmesharp.com. 
Tech-Tips.com. And now for some tech tips. And we're back. Tech tips. How, Matt, my good sir, do you solder a guard onto a blade? Oh, I was not expecting this. Let me see. Hmm. All right. Well, let's get down to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I figured this would be a good one. As you guys know, vehement knives, anytime that you see a hand guard, cross guard, hilt, whatever you want to call it, on one of our knives, we solder it in place. Um, I, that's something that's very important to me. And let me explain to you why. So I think we've touched on this a couple times, at least briefly, and we're going to go into a little bit of detail for our guys in the trenches right now who are trying to figure out how to get that solder to flow because it's not voodoo, but it does takes, it's a little tricky. It can be from time to time. So the reason we solder a guard, uh, number one, and most importantly, it seals the gap between the guard and the tang or ricasso, the blade material, whatever that is. Um, on hunting knives, this is especially critical because the blood from the animal can get in between there and it can just corrode away that joint and you won't even see it. You won't even know that your yeah, knife is deteriorating. It's rusting underneath your guard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and, and all of a sudden one day you've got a rust spot coming up from your Ricasso. Yes. You know. And uh, some people will mitigate that with either JB Weld or epoxy. Um, the effect is the same. However, in my opinion, adding solder, which is a dissimilar metal to the, uh, the knife and the guard itself, it gives a touch of class, a touch of elegance, and it really showcases your skill set because I tell you what, every, every single one that I do is different from the last. And I, mm-hmm. I'm always even still working on getting them just right. And so by, again, this goes back to we're not experts, but we are enthusiasts. And I can tell you guys how to solder a guard and maybe, in six months' time or a week's time, you'll actually be better at it than I am. And so that I have and, no problem with that. And I have no problem admitting that Matt showed me how to solder a, solder a guard for the first time just a few days ago. Oh, yeah. And, that was fun. And and uh, it was it was a lot easier to do than I thought it was. But I can totally see why it's as intricate as it is because there's a lot of variables. It is. So, so, mm-hmm. so we'll start from the beginning. So you have your – we're just going to use brass. Obviously, it could be nickel, silver, stainless, you know, whatever your material is for your guard. But for this case, we're going to use brass. So you start off with your brass piece that is cut to the proper length. Um, in that process, you, after that process, I should say, you're going to either mill, drill, or file your slot. Now, if this is a open back, like a loveless dropped hunter style, it's going to slide on from the edge side of the knife and the spine of the knife will be exposed. If it's for, let's just say, if it's a dagger, it can either slide on from the blade end or from the tang end up to the guard shoulder and then it will rest, but it will wrap all the way around the knife so there'll be no mm-hmm. open end um each one of those has its own challenges as far as fitting and stuff so fitting that's going to be the next step and that really is very critical a lot of people will say that solder hides blemishes or gaps and to be totally mm-hmm. honest that's not true because solder cannot f- like reliably fill a gap you're putting yeah. liquid metal when it's at temperature and it will fall through that gap oh yeah it'll just go right through and and then you're chasing your tail for the rest of the afternoon trying to make it right when you should have just fit the guard correctly in the first place right. so right. you shouldn't have um i mean i've gotten away with a little bit more than this maybe from time to time but if it does get dramatically more than just a few thousandths on any given side then you'll end up scrapping the guard and then coming back to a new one just to to make it fit right so ideally you want to have about three thousandths clearance on any side you can have it press fit but i've actually had guards so tight that the solder won't flow right right, because yeah there's nowhere for it to go right that's crazy yeah and uh so you have to just kind of factor that in so you can have it to where it's touching the sides but ideally you'd want to have about a thou and a half on against the perimeter which is uh, three thousandths oversized right right? and so um so you want to have that so you can either like i said mill drill and then ultimately you're going to hand file the fit so you have that nice tight fit when it's in this state and i do this before we send the knives off to heat treat the guard is placed firmly on the knife and it is secured. Sometimes if it's open back, I'll use uh, little baby vice grips to clamp sure. it. Yep. Um, otherwise, if it's a double guard, there's no way to clamp it. So I just make sure that it's a very tight fit and has no motion. And then I drill right through the guard. So imagine that the blade is laying flat and the guard is edge up, you know. Yep. Perpendicular. Uh, yeah, perpendicular. Yep. And... Uh, so I'll drill right through the guard and the tang of the knife. That way my pinholes, my retaining pinholes, 
they're perfectly fit. So right. you're not doing one and then the other. So right. everything is fit as a unit. At that point, I label the guard and the knife. So cor- you know, corresponding alphanumeric oh, code. Oh, for sure. Well, especially if you have to separate them and the other one has to travel 600 miles. Exactly. Yeah. Know, back and, and forth. That's, yeah. That's exactly the situation. <laughs> you can't really send the guards with the blade and go, can you just, just like make tape sure these together? together? Yeah. Please? We're going to yeah. put it, you know, up to 1400 degrees in the kiln. Right. Yeah. I don't think the brass would survive if that. If I were so. the heat treater, I'd charge you like an extra $2,000 <laughs> to do that. <laughs> right. So. Um, so then we get our blades back in from heat treat and it is time to do the deed so let's seal this guard to the knife so i'll slide it into place using those existing pinholes i use 330 seconds diameter brass or nickel silver pins or stainless and i will tap those in peen them over and that really is the the watchmaking part of fixed blade knife yeah i I, agree so fun the little bit of peening that i've done too it's very much like more of an art form than it it is just like monkey 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 and hammer right yeah no that's my favorite part I, i really enjoy it and so once that is in place and everything is nice and snug the pins are set uh forgive me we're gonna go back because and i apologize to you guys listening because i missed the most critical step in all this before i even get close to sliding that guard onto the tang of the knife Clean, clean, clean. Oh, yeah. It has yeah. to be immaculate. So what we use uh, is denatured alcohol. It is very effective as a solvent, and it dries with no residue. In the past, I have used brake parts cleaner, um, although you spray it everywhere, and it makes a terrible mess. And some of it does actually leave a residue, contrary to what the label on brake parts cleaner. So you have to brand shop, right. and any any bottle of denatured alcohol is going to work as good as the last. We use right. Clean Strip, I think, is the brand we use, the big okay. metal can. Yep. Um, so we take that and some cotton swabs. And Jim, you're spun up on this. You, we yep. went, you did yep. this. Yep. Yeah, you went, you went through it with me uh, pretty you know pretty efficiently. I mean, you're you just like, you're just keep on going, keep on going. Nope, not clean enough yet. Keep on going. Yeah. Go until it's white. If, imagine you're cleaning your grandfather's hunting rifle, you know, after you borrowed it. Oh, but, and, and you love your grandfather. Right. And you're going to you're going <laughs> to run that patch through until that patch comes out brilliant white. I mean, brand spanking right. new white. So you have to do that. Take that same mentality to your guard cleanup. And I take my Q-tips, you know, or something 100 uh, percent cotton, something that's not going to leave. It has to be clean. No residue on it from a previous task. So I use brand new Q-tips dip them in the denatured alcohol and I clean out that channel inside of the guard, you know, the guard uh, relief hole mm-hmm. and I clean it and clean it, and clean it till there's nothing left in there. Right. And so it has to come out like a brand new damp Q-tip. Right. And when it does, I clean the tang of the knife really well and make sure that guard shoulder has, you know, where the, the 90 degree angle or the radius or however you guys do it, uh, where that guard shoulder meets the tang of the knife. I make sure that little crevice is cleaned out really well. And then yep. the Ricasso also. Then we move on to sliding the guard on, peening it in place. And then what I like to do, and this is a technique that has served me well over the years, is I will hold the tip of the blade so that the tang is pointed up in the sky. Mm-hmm. And I will put one drop of Stay Clean Flux. It's a liquid flux. I'll put one drop of it right at the guard joint on what would be the handle side. And then I hold the knife kind of at an oblique so that I'm sighting down the blade looking at the guard face and it has a nose down attitude, like a mm-hmm. blade down attitude. And I spin it in my hands and it's almost reminiscent of somebody blowing glass. Yep. And I'm spinning that in my hands and I'm watching that guard joint because I want to see the flux make a wet bead all the, the way around. around the entire perimeter. Yeah. And until then, I just keep rotating it, rotating it. Now I'm very careful at this point. Not to get flux on the guard face and on right. the ricasso of the knife. What that'll do is that could potentially, if you have shaky hands, that will, the, the flux will etch the surface and clean it and make the solder want to bond to it. So if you incidentally or accidentally contacted your solder rod with one of these fluxed areas, the solder is going to stick, and you're, you're going to have flux there. You're yeah. going to have solder there. Yeah, yeah, and you have to now you're you're setting yourself up for more cleanup work, right? Right. So getting that damp bead just around the perimeter of the guard itself, now you know that solder is only going to flow where you want the solder to flow. Here, here. In theory, right? right. It, it does kind of get a mind of its own sometimes. Now <laughs> there are two methods to do this, and I recommend method A. And when method A is not to your standard, then move to method B. If everything is tight, right, and clean, then method A will work perfectly. If there was any kind of flaw somewhere in that process, then you need to move to method B to get a good, true, accurate, beautiful-looking solder joint. So method A, I solder is off to the side. 
I like to keep a solder brush loaded with just a little bit of flux on it, just in case I have to do an emergency cleanup if I missed a grease spot or a thumbprint and it was repelling the flux or whatever or solder. Um, so I have a little solder brush with just a drop of flux on it. I have my solder rod sitting to the side. It's a little coil. I make sure it's nice and clean and all the oxidation is wiped off mm-hmm. so it's a bright finish. Yeah, you wiped yours off on your shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just brightened it up real quick. Yeah, just strip it yeah. down so it's brand spanking new when it makes contact with that knife. And I will use either heat paste. I know Jance carries, Jance Supply, um, they carry a, a, a good heat paste that I've had really good results with. And that just acts as like a heat sink so it doesn't allow the heat to creep up onto the blade and ruin the temper of your edge, which is the most critical part. You don't want to ruin a knife trying to make it look fancy. Right. Um, the other thing I use sometimes on more uh, complex knives is I'll actually clamp heat sinks to the blade. And that mm-hmm. works also. I've seen him do both these methods and they work fine. They work they, fine. They honestly work fine. Yeah, you can see yeah. where the heat runs to and you can yep. see where it stops and you can touch the edge of the knife at any time during the process. I mean, I have that much confidence in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so heat sink, whether it be paste or, or metal heat sinks are in place. The flux is right where we want it to be. We did that kind of oblique in the air right, inspection right. of it. The spinning to make sure that the wet beat goes all the way around the tang and the guard fitment. Exactly. So yep. method A, I'm heating from the bottom. I'm heating from the bottom of the guard. I have my propane torch set to a medium, what I would consider a medium flame. Like and a two-inch flame, as, like like from nozzle to tip. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Two, two to three inches I think is pretty safe, right? Cool. And so uh, you want to heat up relatively quickly because if you heat too little, you're going to end up heating that blade up because it's taking so long to get the guard to temp. And so I will poop medium flame, two to three inches, mm-hmm. propane from the bottom, and I start just kind of passing it back and forth, paying a special attention to the quillion of the guard because that is acting as a heat wick and drawing the heat out and dispersing it into the air. Right. The same way the fins on a heat sink work, right? Yeah. So I spend a lot of time on that, and that also takes a lot of the heat away from the knife so I'm not even treading in dangerous territory yet uh, when it comes to getting everything to temp to get the solder to flow. Brilliant. So I heat from the bottom until I watch that flux start to bubble and then it will kind of caramelize just a little bit. And this is the stay clean. Mm-hmm. I don't know about other fluxes. This is just what I use. Right. But I know when it kind of gets that caramely look. Like, not, a, gold, like a golden color? Yes. Yeah. It? Not okay. burned, but right. like a gold. You right, know what right. I mean? Like a and straw so, color. Yep. Like when you're, okay. And that's yeah. just the liquid. It'll just get kind of syrupy, right? Sure. And so yeah. at that point, I move my flame to the top of the guard and now I'm actually blasting flame down on the guard face again a special attention is being paid to the quillion the heat sink for lack of a better term in this situation and i will start touching my solder rod to the underside of the guard now is trust me if it's not working just give it five more breaths it's always five more breaths when you're like this isn't working just give it a few breaths boom all of a sudden now my solder's flowing my yep. solder sticks to the bottom side of the guard And if everything is tight, right, and clean, you'll watch it wick all the way around the entire perimeter of the guard. And it's really something to see. It's like sweating pipes. Oh, it's it's like magic. Yeah, it's Um, pretty cool. Yeah, when I watched um, Matt do one over the shoulder of something that was like a perfect setup, that's exactly what happened. It was like like water running in its own trough. Yeah, it's really cool. But there was no trough. And it was everything was just like a 90 degree angle. It just sucked it right in and it went right around. It was really cool to watch. Right. And at that point... I typically take a ice pick, which I use in my shop all the time. I take my ice pick and I just drag it around that bead to smooth it out. And it gives it a nice, you know, good looking radius to it. And then I pull it away. I have a spray bottle that I just give a very light blast of water to. And it helps constrict all the surface of the uh, solder joint, which also expresses or squeezes out any residual flux. Um, Now, that's method A. If for whatever reason, method A doesn't work for you that well the first time. What you can do is take that solder brush after you've, you know, melted it up. Some will wick to the top, but if it's uneven or it doesn't look right, take that solder brush with the flux on it. Just give it a quick swap, you know, right around the perimeter on the blade side of the guard face and then move your heat to the bottom. And once it gets hot, use your solder rod to draw a bead across the top. And then you will Mm -hmm. notice that it all wicks down and you're left with a little bit more cleanup, Mm -hmm. which is why I prefer method A. Oh, sure. But you end up with an equally effective. You want full penetration on the solder and you'll have a little bit more attractive bead as you put it around. Sure. sure. And you you can actually place it where you want and clean it up as it goes. Exactly. And you can kind of chase it around to trouble Mm -hmm. trouble areas to make sure you have that nice, good looking bead. But after it's done, you do have to go back with some sandpaper and clean it. You have, exactly. You have so yeah, your so, your cleanup, yeah. you just added about 
15 to 20 minutes of time in cleanup if you solder from the guard face side versus if you just use the capillary action from the underside. Um, at that point, uh, again, you just give it a, a little tiny spritz with the um, water bottle to, to tighten everything up and solidify it, let it cool to room temperature, and then I take it over and I use a baking soda and water solution with yep. a toothbrush and yep. I scrub every little nook and cranny out of there to neutralize. If you don't do that, your knife is going to rust. I don't care if it's stainless. I don't care if it's uh, anything. Oh, yeah. It's super caustic, the, the, the toxic. It's, it's acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's acid yeah, for lack of it's, Any other better word. Yeah. yeah, it's acid. And so uh, so you want to neutralize it with some baking soda and then rinse everything with cool water to get the baking soda off because obviously it's a very aggressive base also. And then at that point, we just blow it with the uh, air compressor, air nozzle on the compressor, mm -hmm. yep. and we have a soldered joint. And then it's ready for cleanup. And there's a lot of methods on how to clean it up. I'll leave that up to you guys. But I wanted to cover the fundamentals of actually getting that solder to flow. And really, it's fitment and cleanliness. I mean, that is the two big things. If your guard is not taking solder, it's either improperly fit or it's dirty. I guarantee it. It's it's clearly just one of those two things. Yeah, Check I mean, those, that, that's it. And then come back to square one. Yes. After you, after you get that. Exactly. All right, Matt. Thank you very much, sir. That was, that was excellent, actually. I'm going to take all that to heart. Thank you. See you guys. What's happening, gang? Matt Martin sitting here with Jim Stewart on Behind the Blade podcast, reminding you to wherever it is that you listen to us, whether it be SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or iTunes, please hit that subscribe or follow button in the case of uh, Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah, <laughs> uh, But follow and subscribe to the podcast so you can stay abreast of when the latest episode drops. It also helps us out because we can show our sponsors that we are really reaching the people that they want to speak to directly. We appreciate all your support and we'd love to be able to keep doing this. So click that subscribe button. Thank you so much. And we are back to our favorite segment of Behind the Blade, the Q&As. You guys send us your questions, and we send you our A's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> if you have any Q's for our A's, you can email them to us at info at behindthebladepodcast.com or roger up whenever we post the uh, question box. Question box. Yeah. So we always try to pick a different question box each week. So so now it's starting to become a little bit of a hunt because before it was just like, oh, question box in Google. There's one. Now it's like we did that one. We did that one. We did that one. This week's was a static GIF. So enjoy <laughs> that one. Uh, all right. Uh, first question this week is a little bit involved. So bear with me as I read through the question and we'll see if we can answer it. This one comes from Mike Travis. Hello, Matt and Jim. First, let me say that I love the podcast. Well, thank you, thank Mike. Thank you, Mike. I have a question about your thoughts on value of independent knife reviews, specifically YouTube. I write for American Survival Guide. Don't mind plugging those guys. They're friends of Vehement Knives and hopefully of the podcast. And I know firsthand how much a printed article can drive sales. I also run the Blue Mountain Bushcraft and Outdoors channel on YouTube. I have gotten mixed feedback on knife reviews impact on sales. I have a very prominent knifesmith in the family, and I purposely don't review his knives anymore simply because he has a three-year backlog, and the one review I did caused him countless hours behind a keyboard and on the phone. I have heard from other makers that reviews barely bump the sales needle. Since Bark River has such a large production capacity, do you find YouTube reviews to be impactful? And if so, how do you measure it? Matt, being a much smaller shop, very much smaller, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. I love reviewing knives, but my reviews take a lot of time and effort. I will continue to review knives because I enjoy it and people seem to like what I do, but I'd also like to be able to reach out to makers with knowledge that I can make a positive difference for them as well. Okay, quite a mouthful. Um, but it's a, it's a great question. And, uh, and it is something that's a little bit market specific about, um, marketing, marketing your product or being a reviewer and um, helping other other knife companies grow or people build a brand or something and playing a part in that. And and it's very cool. All, all of it's very cool. Um, so he asked specifically, since Barker has such a large production capacity, do you find YouTube reviews to be impactful? Let me just stop there. Um, yes, I can. I totally find them to be impactful, especially it depends on um, the number of subscribers in the channel, how much, how much attention the guy gets or, um, or what specifically they're saying. I mean, if it's a 
if it's a if it's a overwhelming overwhelmingly positive review, we do see a little bit of a sales bump from that. And uh, and we measure sales we, we we measure sales bumps not with like direct interface with our distribution because we're not like we don't, we don't call up our distribution and go hey so uh how do we do this week right right <laughs> you know not like not like we have that kind of business with them but we do keep open lines of communication it's more like we we try to monitor inventory levels that you know uh, from information that they make public i know that sounds a little hokey but right. but that is really like a really good measurement because you can look at the actual the, the actual sales drive. And if that are, follows a video review or something like that, then oh, you yeah. can see a spike or a drop in inventory, a spike in purchases. Right, right. right. Okay. And then, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a conversational way, we can talk to our distributors, you know, easily and say, Hey, this one guy dropped this video. He's got 600,000 subscribers on YouTube. Uh, did you get any orders from that? And then the guy will go, uh, you know what? I did. I got like, for some reason, like 25 people bought the knife <laughs> from, from so, us before. Yeah. So, so we know that. It has a positive momentum. That doesn't necessarily mean that that momentum stays, or that it's, or that it, uh, or, or or that it, uh, it, it's 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 an upward tr- it's an upward trend. It's just a spike. it's not sustaining. Yeah, it's a shot right. in the arm, right? It's a shot in the arm for that moment, and and sometimes sometimes that can go right up because when we released the Bravo One, it's relatively unknown, and then YouTube reviews and magazine reviews and people got it in their own hand and word of mouth, and all of a sudden it's you got number, famous for the Bravo One. It's our number one best selling yeah. knife by far. And our number two best-selling knife is the Gunny, which is a smaller Bravo One. Right. Yeah. So I mean, uh, so yeah, absolutely. Reviews and YouTube are absolutely impactful, and and the same can be said if it's a negative review, and uh, which which actually, thankfully, we haven't seen a whole lot of that. <laughs> so, sure. but um, but I have seen other um other things happen because of negative n- negative YouTube videos that have been impactful and, and positive as well. I mean it goes both ways. Right. But there was there was an onus for a long time on S thirty five VN because the number one video that everybody was talking about was some guy cutting rope on a dryer. <laughs> like it was a metal dryer taking a metal knife and clanging it into a metal dryer and going, Oh look, this won't hold this, an edge. This won't hold yeah, an edge. Imagine that. It's like, well, yeah. So um but so there you go. So for so you guys, you go, yeah. it can, it potentially can. I think it's all contextual. If you want my personal opinion, sure. I think if you were to take a, uh, we'll use a Nesmuk from earlier in the segment. Uh, if you were to take a Nesmuk knife and try to promote it in a primarily tactical venue, whether it be a YouTube channel or a magazine, oh, it's a great point. It, I mean, yeah. it's going to be a wet fart, right? I mean, and there may be some crossover, but it's not going to have the same impact. So I feel like the knife being reviewed has to be reviewed to the audience that is going to appreciate that knife. Yeah. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. We had an article in uh, American Survival Guide. It was a great article. Kevin Estella wrote it. We were really proud, really honored. Um, honestly, didn't move the needle for us so much as American Survival Guide. They covered the our combat dagger, right? Right. And like I said, it was a great article. I thought it was awesome. We were glad to have it and all that. But it, we didn't really blow up because of it. Now, I've had other magazines, uh, American Handgunner, where they did our neoclassical mm-hmm. designs, and they did a bunch of stuff in there. Yeah. And that, our phone did not stop ringing for six months straight. I mean, we right. just pulled out. This was two years ago. We just finished the last of the American handgunner orders. Mm-hmm. And it may have something to do with circulation. I think that has something to do with it also. The, the, the article reaching your wider base. Exactly. And so if you're, mm-hmm. if your magazine has a higher circulation and it's tailored or the knife being reviewed is appealing to the market of that magazine or that YouTube channel or whatever it is, then I think you're going to see a more significant jump than if you tried to do a lightsaber in a right. Soldier of Fortune magazine. You know what I mean? It's You're just not going to be reaching <laughs> right. the same audience. So uh, that's what I would think. And, uh, you know, as a smaller shop, we have seen significant dividends from certain magazine articles and not so much from other ones. And uh, maybe it's, you know, I'm proud of the knives we put out. So maybe uh, the knife wasn't as hot as I thought it was, or maybe it was just falling on deaf ears, so to speak. So, uh, and I, I, Mike, I hope that answers your question uh, at least a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> and if not, ask us for clarification. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what else we got? <laughs> All right. So this next question is a little bit more lighthearted. It starts off from Dan Jacquet, uh, or Jake Jacquet, as a, as he's more colloquially known. There you go. So, um, um, you are doing a fantastic job on the podcast. Please keep up the effort and sharing your wealth of knowledge. I have a couple questions, but I will just limit it to one. Being a teenager growing up in the 80s, I had the pleasure of being introduced into the action hero movies, along with all the cool props they used. 
Not a specific movie or knife, but there was something about a giant buck 184 that had my name all over it. It was my quote, had to have, for no particular purpose or reason other than to quench a thirst that I developed. I still own it today. My question to you two knife junkies, have you ever purchased a knife just to satisfy the itch to just own it? All of them. Every single one. You know, because (laughs) we could all carry around a Ginsu knife and perform most functions, right? (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, a Randall. We just did that a couple episodes ago when I got my Randall. You were slobbering over your Randall. I mean, not that I could blame you, but it's cool. I don't need a Randall 14 (laughs) attack with a serrated spine. Are you kidding me? I just wanted one. I had to have it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I mean, I've I've had that, too. The uh, Man, and it was actually... It's actually a little bit of a funny story. I saw the knife. It was a Rexford ZT0801. There you go. It was a Rexford ZT0801, and I'm like, man, that's such a cool-looking knife. I really want one. And then I got one. There you go. And then I gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I just had to have it. <laughs> so, so I ended up like, uh, I so so that's like literally exactly what the question was. <laughs> I received it because I had to have a thirst to have it. But then once I got it, it was quenched. I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I don't need another titanium as 35 yen flipper. Right. So, I, <laughs> got so, it. so, so, so I, uh, I, I gave it away. But, uh, but any yeah, movie, any movie knives in your collection, anything that is, you had to be like, I saw it in a movie and then I had to have okay, it. Okay. Okay. So I still don't have it yet, but I totally want Conan's father, Conan, Conan's father's sword. Oh, there you the go. Atlantean. Nice. I totally want that sword because I loved the way it looked. Okay. So, so fun fact about Jim Stewart. I grew up on the movie, not Care Bears, not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I grew up on the movie Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> okay. So it's like, I'm sitting in front of the television Six years old with my plastic sword, spinning the spinning the thing around, uh, spin, spinning the sword around the same way Conan did and everything. Told my Sunday school teacher, which is actually a little bit of a funny story. Um, should I go into that? I uh, yeah, okay. absolutely. I think so, this is totally worth it. Okay, so I was six years old. My favorite movie. This is before memes, guys. This is before Facebook <laughs> and before memes. Just to put this in a timeline. It was before people had the internet in right. their homes. Right. For you younger guys. So. So uh, we were we were at church. We were sun. It was going. It, we, we were. Uh, it was Sunday school, um, and my favorite movie again, Conan the Barbarian. Absolute favorite movie of all time. At that age, I could quote most of it because a lot of it was awesome. And um, I'm sitting in Sunday school, and I, I still remember this to this day. I still remember this. The uh, the Sunday school teacher asked, and she was a, a diminutive a diminutive. Diminutive. diminutive I know, I know, man. I can't talk about this. I'm so excited to tell the story. A diminutive lady um, who just asked a very um, a religious question in Sunday school, and it's a totally logical question for the setting. What is the meaning of life? So, but that's not what, what was I heard. your answer. My so so what I heard was what is best in life. <laughs> Six years old. I repeated, crush your enemies, see them driven before you. And hear the lamentations of their women. This isn't Sunday school. <laughs> when he's six. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it to this day, man. I'll never forget it. I was super confused. The teacher got up and left. <laughs> true story. It's totally 100% true. That's the totally best. Stu- totally true. So she gets up and leaves. So I hear from my father, like, years later, and this was years later, years later when I heard the story again, when it was recounted to me, the teacher goes up to my father and goes, do you know what your son just said? And, and he goes, well, what did he say? He goes, he said something about crushing people and, and hearing women <laughs> crying. <laughs> and dad, because my dad's, my dad's sarcastic and can be a little caustic at times, he goes, well, I don't see a single problem with that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, um, and then I had I had really cool Sunday school teachers after that. There oh. were different people. It was like a younger couple that brought pizza and donuts every week. Yeah, it was it was a lot more fun for me. So there you go. There's your there's your <laughs> but, uh, first movie knife question uh, in a roundabout right, way and right, an anecdote. Right now, now bringing that full circle though, the question was actually brought to us by Andy Teal on the Facebook page, and the actual question because we're doing the A before the Q. Here, oh right, is being a movie maniac myself, I would really like to know if one of your blades was to be featured in a major movie production, what genre would you prefer what actors should be carrying and using it and uh and so so that that brought up that brought up matt's question and uh and it brought up my anecdote but uh but andy thank you for the question so much it's a lot of fun matt how about you answer that question good sir what uh what what genre would you prefer to be in Oh, it's it's a no brainer. Uh, Andy, as soon as I read your question, the answer shot through my mind and 
dead bang. I know exactly what it would be. It would it would have to be a post apocalyptic movie, and that's <laughs> where I want to see. And you know what? That's how I, um, that's how I see so many things that have an aesthetic appeal to me, and they don't have to be over the top. Kind of, if anybody's familiar with like um, uh, custom rat culture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether it be motorcycles or rat rod, hot oh, rods, you know, awesome. yeah. and they're kind of cobbled together. So there's that, which mm-hmm. I would say is is cranked up to 11. And sure. then you have, you know, shiny new contemporary materials that are in what we call the yummy phase. And that is cranked down to zero. I like somewhere in between to where mm-hmm. it's almost nondescript. If you were to see um, if I could have a knife in a movie. It would be a knife that you looked at it and you wouldn't be able to tell what time period it was from. And I think that ambiguity is where I like to ride the walk the line anyways in our designs. And so I would love something in like a Mad Max or any one of these awesome, more underground, post-apocalyptic movies to where everyone's wearing kind of like some tattered rags and they have this distressed look about them. And then they have this (laughs) knife that is clearly in a setting in the future, but is from the past. Now, is it from 2003 or is it from 1943? Mm-hmm, I don't right. know. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's that's where I would like a knife to be. And as far as what actor, I don't know. I don't watch enough movies or TV. I, my, I'm so dated. I'd be like, uh, uh, you know, Carl Weathers or something. I, I have no idea. Yeah, so I have, I have no clue uh, what actor I would like to have carry on, but that would be the setting. Big cars, big pipes, you know, sure. big hot motorcycles. You know, that would mm-hmm. be it. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know how to answer the, 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 which actor should be carrying and using one of, one of, uh, one of my knives or one of my favorite knives. I, I, I wouldn't know exactly how to answer that because my knives are very much for the average person. So. Scarlett Johansson. Okay. Win. Win. Okay. Scarlett Johansson should be carrying a Bravo one. That's exactly what it Scarlett is. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. All of a sudden she just got cooler in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, in right? my own little fantasy. I'm <laughs> I think Very I would cool. like a female actress to be carrying my knives. I think I think that would be I think that'd be cool to me. I, I would dig that. If all of a sudden you saw a picture of uh of like uh I don't know, uh, Margot Robbie holding a behemoth. I'm assuming that's an actress. Yeah. That's an actress. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah, I I I, uh, <laughs> I I mean there's some I mean knives to me are they're a lot of times a representation of the you know, female figure, not to get too esoteric on anything, but I I think women and knives are awesome. And so uh so the, yeah, that's long and short of that. Uh, what else we got? So we have one. Uh, we touched on one off air. I, I think it's worth answering just to kind of put it to bed a little bit. Uh, Jer Bear, if you were to remake now your first knife, what would you change about it? Um, I would change, quite simply, everything that I have changed since that knife to now. And as Jim very succinctly put it off air, he said, you're asking to describe the entire history of the company because you start at that Correct. point. Am I going to use the word nexus correctly here? Uh, nexus as a joining of different things. Nope. Never mind. Nope. Okay, okay. Yeah. So I don't know what that word means, guys. Like I said, we're not experts. We're just enthusiasts. Uh, <laughs> I love that caveat. Uh, did I use that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So everything from that first knife has been some form of improvement. And I try to make every knife better than the last because at my root, I'm a custom maker. But even on our newfound production stuff, our mid-techs, I still really fight to make everyone better than the last. And so everything that I have changed has been from the origin. Really, I feel like the word Nexus needs to go there. All right, so you Maybe know what? Not. You know what? I just googled it, and you're totally right. Nexus oh, does work. Yes. So, okay. So I'm sorry. Yeah. I, uh, sorry, I doubted you. It's the beginning, you. right? Like it's it's kind of like <laughs> no, the no, forming, no. the origin. No, no, no. A, okay. a Nexus is a connection of two or more things. Oh. So it, it can be metaphorical or physical. <sighs> so I don't think I was using it right. So in my well, no, mind. no. Sure, sure it is. Sure it is. The uh, all of the processes that you use are a Nexus of your. Of, uh, of of your progress. This right here is good radio. This is exactly what they want to hear. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, we, we so we answered the question off air, and then we got into semantics on See, air. This so is why we don't talk me. about crap. I almost said I almost said a different word. This is why we don't talk about stuff off air. No, it no, falls but, apart. But that first knife that you make is the impetus for Matt's nexus. Uh, and on that note jim i believe that is a podcast (laughs) thank you for bearing with us this week guys looking forward to see everybody in a couple of weeks at blade and uh be sure to post up on our facebook and instagram page we're going to do a post Be, be sure to roger up in that post with what you're building and what you're getting ready for the big show all right everybody Have a great week. And until next week, my name is Jim Stewart signing off for Matt Martin. This has been Episode 9 of Behind the Blade Podcast. See you guys later.
This has been Behind the Blade Podcast, hosted by Matt Martin and Jim Stewart. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and listen to us on Stitcher. You can check out more episodes and further info on our website at BehindTheBladePodcast.com. While you're there, if you feel like you got something from us and want to return the favor, hit that donate button. It makes you a little taller and more handsome in person. Try it and find out. Help us spread the word by telling your knife friends in your social circles about Behind the Blade. Have a knife-related or industry question? Email us at info at BehindTheBladePodcast.com. Behind the Blade Podcast.